Thank you for tuning in to the Mile 40 podcast. I am Beshoy Tadros, the author of Break Barriers and Audacious, both of which are sold on Amazon. And I invite you to join me as I engage with guests to discuss those bounce back moments that we encounter on our personal journey. Mile 40 is a forum to learn about how athletes, professionals, and leaders of all backgrounds stare down moments in life where the only option is to rise up. The Mile 40 podcast strives to remind listeners that the comeback is always greater than the setback. Welcome back to another episode of the Mile 40 podcast. If you can hear it in my voice, I'm a little nervous today. Uh, Today is the episode uh, you all have been waiting for. It is the 40th episode of Mile 40. Uh, And today's guest is my wife, aka Babe, aka um, the person who claims to be the funniest person in the room when it's just her and I together. Thank you for coming on board today, Christine. Even if there are other people there, I'm still the funniest. (laughs) So who do you think is more nervous about this recording? I don't know. Your behavior before this is pretty... I don't think you do this before every recording. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I actually... It's funny. I, I, I think you know me well enough to know that I don't really prep for too much. Like I really go into things pretty blindly. I trust my intuition. I feel confident about most things that I go into. And uh, I haven't really prepped for any one of the first 39 episodes other than gathering some pretty basic information about the guests. But for you, I've got notes and notes and notes (laughs) about the different directions that I could take this. Yeah. Yeah, Uh I do. And and I didn't share them with you uh, for a reason. So you you know the premise of the show, uh, but this episode is definitely going to take some twists and turns and in a good way. Um, and we'll start off uh, with a little bit of fun. Why don't you tell the audience your biggest pet peeve about your husband? Just one? <laughs> yes, please. Just one. <sighs> um, that you leave the water running when you're in the kitchen and we'll do like a chore, like anything. You're like literally leave the water running for like five minutes. And I'm just like, is he going to turn that off? I, I like to make sure that whatever I'm watching is washing is getting, you know, very thoroughly cleaned with the water, but uh, <laughs> to each, to each their own, I guess. Um, well, sometimes there's nothing in there. Sometimes that that's true. That that is true. I am I am a little forgetful. I mean, uh, the audience doesn't really know this, but I have a horrible memory, um, and uh, that's something that I know that you've had to live through. Um, I'll ask you some more fun questions, uh, and I know you're going to really like this one. How have you changed your partner? Hmm. Wow. I'm trying to think. I feel like I don't know if it's because of me. Okay. But I feel like you've become a lot more of a homebody. And I don't know if this would have happened anyway. Like I don't know if it was just part of your 
developmental timeline. <laughs> but when I, when we dated a few times, you were always very like social. You wanted to see your friends. Like you wanted me to come with you, but like you always like liked to be out and like around people that you liked and knew and you were very social. And now I feel like you're good at home. Huh. Just me, you, Lanes, and the dog. Like that is true. Like if, if every day was a snow a snowstorm and you couldn't leave the house, you'd be happy. Like That's you wanna fair. you wanna move to Montauk, which is like a seasonal town, which I think is most telling. Like, I don't think you would have wanted that in the peak of like your social years. Well, that yeah, you had that kind of impact on me. And it's funny because I was not expecting that to be the answer to your question because your claim to fame about me is a little bit more superficial in nature. You point you point to my beard. Yeah, no, why don't, why don't you tell the audience about some of the ways that you I was trying to be meaningful. Um yeah. well, for one, I inspired you to grow your beard. I also inspired you to change your haircut. And I also told you that you would look good with glasses for like three years. And then now you won't take them off. And you're like, oh, today's the debut of my glasses coming out. Like everyone's going to see me in my glasses. And it's like, should have just listened to me like years ago. You know, it's funny. I actually talked about my glasses on the last episode and how uh, you uh, were the, the reason that I got them. Um, yeah, no. Uh, so basically, you and you completely changed the person I was on the outside um, over the Wait, last I have a couple question. of years. Can yeah. your editor put in like a before and after picture? Can you do that kind of <laughs> magic? I think we might. I think now we might have to. <laughs> I think to. we have to. I think we, we have to. Sew it up, see what I've done. This we'll is like throw, my transformation. We'll throw it up on social uh, as a way to tease this episode. Um, you know, the things that I do for you, um, you know, I'm, but it's okay. It's all oh, right. Because you don't like it. You don't <laughs> no. like having like better hair and a beard and like just overall looking better. Man, I am turning bright red. If anyone's <laughs> listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts right now, maybe take a click on YouTube to see my face bright red as she goes through this. Um, well, you know that was a good way to warm you up. Uh, we talked about you know your pet peeves about me. You talk, we let you brag a little bit about how you completely changed the person I was on the outside and and partially on the inside too. Uh, definitely a homebody now. Um, you know, I was preparing and and in my preparation, um, I was looking at a bunch of resources and some of the listeners know this, but I'm a big Simon Sinek fan. And I was listening to one of his presentations lately and, and he gave um, this analogy and he talks about how if you go to the gym and you work out and you come back and you look in the mirror you're going to see nothing. And then if you go to the gym the next day and you come back and you look in the mirror again, you're still going to see nothing. So clearly, you know, there's no results. They can't be measured. They're not effect- it's not effective. And so then people quit. Uh, but then he goes into talking about how if you fundamentally believe that this is the right course of action and you stick with it, like in a relationship, like I bought her flowers, I wished her a happy birthday, and you know, she doesn't leave me, clear love me. So clearly I'll give up. That's not what happens. You commit yourself to the regime, the exercise, you could screw it up. You can eat chocolate cake one day or you can skip a day or two. Uh, it allows for that. But if you stick with it consistently, I'm not exactly sure what day, 
but I know for sure that you're going to start to get into shape. Uh, and he says it's the same with a relationship. It's not about the events. It's not about the intensity. It's about consistency. You go to the dentist twice a year, your, twi- your teeth are going to fall out. But if you brush your teeth every day for two minutes, you're going to see the results. And he talks about how there's no app for fulfillment or for strengthening relationships. And those are two things that you need to consistently work on. And I think that um, our narrative is one that has been overly worked on, might say, one might say, uh, but in, in a good way. Uh, and it's, it's funny because, um, you know, if you saw us six years ago, this would have been the farthest thing from reality. You and I speaking on this show today as husband and wife and, and mother and father now. Uh, and so I want to kind of get your take a little bit into that thought process around consistency when it comes to a relationship and maybe some of the things that you've learned. All right. Um, I will say that I feel like you have always been more consistent than I have. Uh, not necessarily in relationship, but like just in general. But also within this relationship, like initially, like until we were like locked in. (laughs) Um, Because I was the type to very much be like, this isn't working. This doesn't feel like the right person. Or um, I think as a psychologist, it makes it really hard to like accept flaws or working on things through things as like not a sign like a red flag and so it's like you're very quick to be like ah no this seems like it wouldn't work or this would seem like toxic or i don't know i don't know if that's like every psychologist's um difficulty with dating um but i definitely felt like it was mine and so the consistency like your consistency kind of made me feel like how's he so like convinced of this like i'm so i'm not gonna curse because i don't know how old like listener chart but i was not nice <laughs> and i was just like why is he like you know still like at it you know and um i don't think people really know the history of like what i'm talking about yeah um we'll, we'll dive in but the, okay. you know you can talk at a high level for right now um but I did feel like your consistency made it feel like safer to be in uh like to be in like a meaningful, like deep, long lasting relationship with because especially like as you date and you like, I don't know, like with, like with dating other people, you kind of feel like people start off some type of way and then they like change or like. It's like, oh, I don't want, I kind of just want to know what I'm getting into and like not have them be like drastically different. Um, and it was kind of like, I knew what I was, I knew what to expect with you. And that was like very comforting. Wow. Um, <laughs> Are you blushing? So, uh, a little bit. Uh, <laughs> and then somewhere in there, you basically told the audience you didn't you didn't really like me until like it was signed and sealed. No, I'm kidding. Um, 
you know, you mentioned and alluded a little bit to um, attachment styles. And, you know, as a psychologist, I think one of the things that would be really helpful for the audience here is maybe hearing it from you really from just a book level around the different attachment styles out there and maybe how they factored into our dynamic, right? Like, um, so let's start at the, at the base, just to kind of give an educational background here and, and what it means. What are the attachment styles? So there's avoidant, anxious, and secure. Got it. And how would you describe each of the three? Um, so avoidant is like they're they feel like a lot of discomfort with like like closeness and they feel like their independence um, and their life is going to be like taken from them the closer they are to a relationship. So they are always like afraid of like, they're always like um, very protective of their freedom. And they're always trying to like not get too close, (laughs) like not for too long. And like, they're always kind of like pushing people away. Um, and then the anxious, they're like, it's kind of like completely opposite. Like they feel a lot more secure. Well, not secure. They're actually like insecure, but they feel better when somebody's always close to them and they always like have them around and like they need a lot of like validation and like they're just always like more like paranoid about the relationship ending or being left or something like like something about it ending. And then secure is like being able to like have space, have closeness without it causing so much like distress. Like like closeness is is nice and like having, you know, just like safe distances, like not being insecure if somebody doesn't text you like for the day or something like that is secure. And a lot of it comes from your initial relationship with your primary caregiver. Um, and that's why, like, <laughs> that's why, like, as a mom, I'm a lot more like, Oh my God, I need her to be securely attached. So it's like, I'm, I'm always like worried, not worried. I guess I'm always like conscious of the attachment and the connection because this connection follows you through all of your relationships as you get older. So it's not just like a oh how did you how did this like happen? It's like well it happens when you're very young and it forms and it sticks and it it stays with you. Not that you can't break it, but um it would be more work to like you're going against the grain of how you actually feel to work on it. Do you feel like there is a healthy amount of the population that's innately secure or do you feel like the majority of people are lying between avoidant and anxious on a path to being secure there's no right answer so it's really what you think in your, yeah, in your there probably is a right answer there probably there's... is in your professional experience <laughs> um i i should know my stats but i didn't prep for this um and i haven't looked it up but i do think a majority of the population is secure. Like, but by majority, I mean, like, I don't know, maybe like not, not like 80%, but like more than half. Um, and the highest percentage of the single people are avoidant, 
because they're kind of always trying to push people away and they're kind of just always in the dating pool. Interesting. Like I think a majority of the people who are single on some level might be avoidant. And then the anxious ones, they just, um, they're all they're They also might there. I think they actually might do better in relationship, but have some insecurity. So they're not, I don't think they're breaking up with people left and right. So they're, they're more likely to be in relationship because they want to be in relationship. Got it. So now taking things back to you and I, our (laughs) attachment styles, uh, you were an avoidant and I was anxious. Uh, And here we are today. Uh, And I think, you know, we can talk about a lot of things on this show, but one of the things I really love about our relationship is the fact that we managed to bridge this gap. Uh, and, and now I think both of us would identify as being pretty secure in our, in our relationships and in our attachment style. Um, and that took some work. I remember, uh, how, you know, at first, like it, it took some, it took some getting used to on my end, uh, whenever, um, we'd have alone time. And now, I'm like, see ya. Uh, <laughs> so um, I, I I credit you for that because I didn't know about the attachment styles um, until we got back together the third time for the listeners. <laughs> um, so just so the listeners know, uh, Christine and I have known each other forever. Um, and since we were kids um, and we... Uh, didn't really date until I was in my mid twenties. We dated once then, um, pretty short stint, got back together as I was approaching 30, 31, dated for a year, then it was a little tumultuous. And then we got back together, uh, September 2020. Uh, in the in the pits of COVID, and uh, third time was a charm. Um, so that, that's the high level overview there for the listeners. Um, and I think that we've both changed enormously, um, and perhaps against the odds of many people who were uh, around us as our as our relationship kind of took form over the years. I think there were definitely times where people looked at us and they were like, "There's no way." This isn't going to happen. Um, and um, I think I have to credit both of us for making it happen uh, when it did ultimately take place. Um, and I was thinking leading up to this episode as to some of the things that we've incorporated. Um, and I couldn't help but think of our monthly report cards. <laughs> and that is something that I think is important to share with the audience. So Christine and I have this uh, regimen, if you will, going back to Simon Sinek's analogy. And every month on the last day of the month, I have an alarm on my phone that reminds me that it's report card day. And we've been doing this since September 2020, when we got back together. Uh, And what we do is we essentially give each other a month-long review. Uh, and fortunately, we're both still A students. Uh, <laughs> but I think a big portion of that is because of the fact that we have this exercise in place. Um, you know, Christine, 
did you ever think that you'd be doing something like that prior to us incorporating it? I mean, I think it's a good idea. So I think it's, I think it's good because you don't get off track for that long. Like, um, I ha- I don't really see couples anymore. But when I did, it was like they just got so far apart, and they weren't really telling each other what was wrong. And by the time a lot of them, I'm not saying all of them, but by the time a lot of them actually go to couples therapy, they're like their connection is just like has drifted so much that it's a lot more, it takes a lot more work. So this is like, you know, we can't really get that far away if it's 30 days. True. And you know, going <laughs> going back to going back to my bad memory, Christine has a habit of acting up usually in the beginning of the month because by the time we get to the end of the month, I tend to forgive and forget. Uh and so yeah, that's great. She's got it. She's got it down pat in terms of uh the system. I want to dive a little bit more in, into you. Um and um I'm sure a lot of people see our dynamic. Um and um we clearly have some differences. Like on the outside, we definitely have some differences as well as on the inside. Um and I want to give people some insight into maybe what they misunderstand about us as a couple and um, some of the things that we do uh, that makes it work for us. Um, you know, I, I think that <laughs> I joked around with you because, again, on the last episode, uh, <laughs> I was talking to Erin Falter and she was talking about her relationship dynamic with with Nick and she mentioned that he's got main character energy. And that was the word that she used. And I was thinking to myself, I think I have main character energy. But then when I told it to you, I think you thought maybe you have some main character energy. <laughs> uh, so let, let's dive into that a little bit. How would you... How do you think our dynamic is perceived on the outside? Not that it matters, but how do you think it's perceived? I mean, I think people would definitely think that you're the main... like. You definitely have main character energy. It pains you to say that. I could tell. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think I think we just have it in different ways. Um, I feel like I'm more subtle, and you're like more of a Leo about it, <laughs> and you know exactly what that means. Um, but. I'm I'm okay with like I feel like we're both okay with the way that it the way that we have it differently. I agree. And and for the record, she's a Scorpio. Uh and for anyone out there that knows <laughs> knows about Scorpio, <laughs> she is a Scorpio by definition, uh to the <laughs> T. Um and yeah, no, I I, I think that we've definitely figured out i don't ever think it was actually an issue for you and i uh around um we we usually meshed very well together in social settings um and so i don't think that was ever an issue for you and i i think that where you and i differ uh is in perhaps how we um go about different projects in our daily lives like i think that you are a little bit more thoughtful and you give a little bit more time to your projects and you um you know you, you 
you know, if you were to go into a store and shop for something, you would take your time to browse. If I were to go into a store, I would, you know, basically be in and out. I know what I want, get it, go in, get out. Um, and I think that that's one of the key differences that we have in in a lot of our approaches. Um, but we Can figured I use out an example. To... What's that? Can I use an example? Yeah, absolutely. I'm just gonna say car insurance test. <laughs> Why don't you tell the audience about so... that? So we decided to take like the defensive driving course because it would like lower our insur- insurance premium. And we both signed up for it. And then he tells me that he failed. I'm like, how did you fail? And he's like, well, I was like multitasking. I wasn't really paying attention. And like, I kind of just breezed through the answers. And I'm like, dude, like, how are you going to know that? Like, how would you just like randomly know this information about like defensive driving course? And, and it's like, yeah, like this is, that was like a personality thing. Mm. Like, like he's used to like multitasking. He thinks that he can like, and he usually does like, he's a good multitasker. So I, I can't take it away from you. Um, but sometimes I feel like like you don't take it as seriously because you're like, this is kind of a waste of my time. So I'm just going to rush through it. <laughs> and here I am nodding my head. Uh, I did pass the defensive driving class on the second time uh, around. Um, and I picked up, I picked up uh, a tip or two uh, on the second go around. I yeah. would have been really embarrassed if I failed the, the second time. Uh, but yeah, no, that is true. Um, and um, it's definitely a differentiator with regards to how we go about getting things done. But I think over time, like I, I've learned to uh, see the benefits of watching you process certain things um, and and not necessarily dismiss it as much as I would have dismissed it, you know, years ago um, when I was just on my own kind of thinking this is the right way to go about doing things. Yeah. And I, w- I would say that like, you have definitely, like, I, I'm, I was always the type to say like, I'll do it later. And you're like, just do it now. Like it'll take two minutes. And I'm like, you know what? He's right. And then it really does take two minutes. And then like, if you just keep doing that, you get a lot of things done. Cause they, it's like everything just takes a few minutes and you're just like, I'm just going to do it really fast. Then, you know, you don't have so much to do later. And so I, I appreciated that about you because I I am better about doing things that like won't take that long. Oh, that was nice. Uh, <laughs> why don't you tell us about something that you've learned about yourself recently? Maybe since becoming a mom, um, what have you learned about yourself? Um, hmm. Something I learned about myself. I think it's that I used to operate very selfishly and it didn't really impact my life because I was either single or like, you know, even like being dating, engaged, married, it's like nobody really takes up that much of your, um, like you have your own life. So it was like, it's like you do your thing, I do my thing, and then we'll like get together and you know eat dinner or like go for a walk or work out or um and when you have a child, like 
there is no their thing and like your thing. Like your best option is like when they nap. Like that's mm. um so like I was actually kind of taken like it was like a hard adjustment for me because I was like, wow, I'm so not used to like just being able to do what I want when I want. Um and like, yeah, that's like an obvious thing that happens with like a child, but it's like like I feel like the harder the adjustment, it's because like you're just so used to like not having to to do it any other way. And like, not that it's necessarily a bad thing, but it was like, oh, I wonder if I wonder if I came across as selfish to like other people or like um in situations where like I just never really thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. So like I've I've heard a lot of people like parents say like your children change you like for the better and it's like I definitely feel like I feel like that has been like a big like a big like changing piece for me. Yeah. No, I mean absolutely. I think that you know one of the things that I personally struggle with is usually transitionary periods and um and 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 a lot of these transitionary periods like i i knew they were happening like i knew i was gonna go from you know being um a bachelor to being in a relationship and then being in a relationship to being married and then being married to to being a father uh but you know, one of the things that I consistently kind of have to work through is uh, my ability to handle transitions. And for me, most things I handle pretty quickly, but transitions really kind of take time uh, for me to kind of uh, get comfortable with. Um, and I think parenthood is probably the most difficult one out of all of them. Um, kudos to you for not making the marriage transition. I think you actually struggled to. <laughs> to adapt to marriage quicker than I did. Yeah, I I guess it was also because I was like, I was very independent. Um, So like, to like, but it's like, a, it's like having your independence taken away in a different type of way. I mean, that sounds terrible, but I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> I'm just saying like, you know, like I used to really do whatever I wanted. Um, yeah. But then like, it's like, but like honestly like being married is like it's like training wheels for like being a mom. A mom is yeah. like 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 it's not like you're going uh, like I'm like oh okay I'm going to go for a run and you'd be like crying like no feed me. It's like it's not it's like it's not the same. Um but I will say that the transition to marriage was only harder because I was an avoidant. Um and like that was like something that I it was like a, a constantly close relationship. And it's like, we didn't necessarily live together before we were married. So it was like a big transition of like, like you're not dating anymore. It's not like a dating type of relationship where it's like, you're going to see them. It's like, you're always seeing them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, despite the fact that we had dated a couple of times, um, our relationship ended up moving very quick. The third time around, um, you know, for context, Christine's father was very sick when we got back together. And so we we ended up getting married 
four months after we got back together, um, she she said yes pretty quickly the, the third time around. So that, <laughs> that was pretty cool. Hey all, it's me, Bishoy. As a marathon runner and endurance athlete, I've come to understand the importance of properly fueling your body for preparation and recovery. Every day you get a shot at success. How you start your day typically paints a picture of what the rest of the day will look like. Start your day with a super convenient, healthy, and delicious nutritional win. Meal one by Creatures of Habit. Overnight oatmeal packed with 30 grams of plant-based protein, chia, flax, and pumpkin seeds. Vitamin D3, omega-3s, a probiotic, and digestive enzymes made in under one minute. Stop wasting time or worrying about what to eat as your first meal of the day. Start with meal one. Visit creaturesofhabit.com, creatures spelled with a K, and use code MILE40 for 15% off a one-time purchase or the first subscription order payment. You know, I've always been interested in this for you. Are you... You consider yourself an extrovert, right? I think I'm um, an extroverted introvert. An extroverted introvert. Yeah. And you'd agree that I'm the same? I don't know. These days, you're like an introvert introvert. <laughs> no, I'm just introvert. I'm just an introverted introvert. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I would have I would have said like a, like maybe maybe a while ago you were um but now I feel like you're in I mean I don't know if you could just change but like I don't know if you could just like cross over to the other side but I maybe you were an extroverted introvert and now you're just an introvert. No, I definitely feel like I'm in my zone. You know, for all the listeners out there, we were out with a couple of friends last night and you know the thing about getting married and then having a baby is you have every excuse in the world not to leave if you don't want to leave. And I I admittedly use that excuse all the time. Um, and another thing, actually, we were talking about this is uh, you can get out of so much uh, when um, your significant other is, is pregnant or... Uh, <laughs> Or or you recently had the baby and and so we were joking around that about about that as well. I used to really, really leverage that card when we had it. Um it was a good time. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed that period. Um it was new, but I enjoyed it. What, the pregnant when I was pregnant? Yeah, I mean I really that's kind of when I really was really getting comfortable with being a homebody. Cause I realized like now I really don't have to go anywhere, like if I don't want to. And I have a good excuse not to. Uh, I think it started with COVID. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe with COVID. Uh, yeah. COVID kind of kept me in a little bit more. I I guess you're right. I, I, I kind of used COVID as an opportunity to, to train more and to kind of like refine, refine myself. And uh, that was a good period for me from, from that perspective. So you're probably on from, from that, from that side of things. You know, you can, you claim to be the jokester. Uh, amongst the, the two of us, uh, but that's always been your your claim to fame. Uh, is is your humor? Where do you think uh, your humor derived from? I know you you had three brothers growing up. Was it the the influence of just always being around boys, or was there another input there? So I had three older brothers. Um, I mean, I still have them, um, but I think I think like when their friends come over and I feel like as a younger sister, you're either like 
the annoying one or you're like the really funny, cool one. And I, I always wanted to like aspire to be like the funny, cool one, because it's like, if an older like guy thinks you're funny, that means you're like really funny. Like when you're, when you're like young. Um, so I remember I used to like whip out these one liners and they would like kind of chuckle and I'd be like, yes, like, got it. Like, <laughs> like I'm funny. <laughs> um, and I think it's also just like in school, like everyone liked a class clown. Everyone wanted to like be around them and like, you know, who doesn't want to laugh? So it was always just something that like I enjoyed, like I enjoyed laughing and I enjoyed making people laugh. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think it's, Amongst your many wonderful qualities, because you have many of them. Christine thought we were just coming on the podcast today and I was going to give her a compliment shower the whole time. Uh, So I will admit she is very, very funny. And that is one of the reasons that I am very attracted to her uh, is I think she is the funniest girl that I've ever met. Um, And now she's blushing. Um, You know, we can't go through this episode without digging into (laughs) some of your own personal hurdles. Um, and they could be about our relationship. They could be about other elements of your life. Uh, but was there ever an inflection point for you personally? Um, whether it was an event that you came across in your life or um, an experience over a couple of years uh, that perhaps served as an inflection point for you and, and maybe uh, a point where um, you had an awakening of sorts? Um, I would say the biggest one was when I graduated college and I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and I was just like, do I want to go to law school? My family does real estate. So they were like, why don't you just go to law school and become a real estate attorney for us? And I was like, you know, when you're lost, it like kind of sounds like a good idea. And then you're like, wait a second. I have like no interest in that. But I knew like, I knew this would take like kind of a long time to figure out. So I was like, let me just get like any type of job that is like somewhat mindless so that I can like focus on other things like when I'm, when I'm done with work. Um, And I was working, I like applied for like a filing job, um, like part-time at like a, it was like a, I think it was like um, it was like a traumatic brain injury type of setting. And they, and I just like was going to do filing for them. They, it was like an assistant position and I was like 21. I had just graduated college and I wasn't like really taking any job very seriously because I was just like, I know I'm not going to stay here. And I'm like, just trying to figure myself out, but I wanted to have a job because it was like, I needed some, I needed some structure. Um, so they were like, why are you going to, so I, I was interviewing and they're like, why are you like applying for like a filing job when you have like a college degree? And I'm like, and so I told them and they're like, well, we need an assistant supervisor for, um, it was called like independent living skills training, like program where it was, I was like training, um, staff to go work with clients who had a traumatic brain injury on like making them more independent with like living skills, like laundry, 
cooking, whatever their area of difficulty was. Um, and obviously like, it was like, it was like an office job and I had to like deal with staff. I was like, Oh, I was like middle management. And I remember coming home and complaining to my dad and I'm like, Oh, because like my, (laughs) my supervisors, I mean, in retrospect, they were not being mean to me, but Mm -hmm. I just felt like I was maybe just like, maybe they sensed I wasn't taking it seriously. So they were like, they were like kind of critical of like everything I was doing and, or maybe they weren't, but that was like my perception at that time. Um, and I told my dad, I'm like, I don't like working for people. Mind, mind you, I'm 21. Mm. And, uh, I'm like, I don't like working for people. Like, like, I don't want to deal with like all these like opinions and like telling me what to do. And like, I'm not like, I'm like, I'm smart enough to know what I'm doing kind of thing. And he was like, if you don't want a boss, then you have to be your own boss. And I was because, you know, my my dad was like self-employed. Um, and I was like, wow, that, that like makes a lot of sense because it's like you're either going to be the boss or you're going to have a boss. Like there's like really no way around it. Um, so within within my within like the department, there were other areas. There was like a behavioral modification program, which you had to have um, either a master's degree or a doctorate in like social work or psychology. And I was a lot more interested in that. And so I was interviewing with the doctor who ran that program and she was just like, yeah, you'd have to like go back to school and like get your degree. And I'm like, okay. And then I just, I just, I did that literally from that, from those like conversations and from that experience of just being like, I don't want somebody to always tell me what to do. And, you know, it like kind of, it kind of like happened pretty quickly. Like it was like, oh, okay, I'm not satisfied at my job. Like, how do I get out of this? And then I just like, did some research. I took my GREs, my psych GREs while I was still working there. And I just like, I like got out. And like now as an adult, I mean, I was 21. So it was like, I didn't have like much to lose, but it was like, as an adult, I, I see how hard that is to just have like a career shift, just be like, I'm not happy. I'm switching. Like, like I feel like with every year or five years or however many years there's like it's just harder to do it and so i i have a lot of respect for people i mean i have a lot of respect for people at any age who do it but like i have a lot of respect for people who do it especially when they're older um like when i was in um my side program our valedictorian was uh like a 44 year old's mom yeah. We had two kids in high school um, and she used to drive from Connecticut to Long Island. Mm. And I'm like, she like, you know, you don't actually know who the valedictorian is until you graduate. And I'm just like, good for her. Like, you know, she like, she wanted this and she worked for this. Like, like, like it was like do or die. Cause she, like she had a career change and she wasn't happy what, with what she was doing. And like, I give her a lot of credit for it. Yeah. No, that's that that's you hit on so many different points there. And I think um A, thank you for sharing that. I 
feel like you've shared that with me before and I remember it. And I definitely remember your dad telling you that. Uh, and it's something that I remember kind of resonated with you. Um, I didn't realize that was the immediate trigger, trigger for you pursuing your PsyD. Um, but I feel like in your own conversations with clients across the years, um, you probably feel you probably have encountered a lot of people who are at similar junctures uh, of having to of wanting to make a critical shift in their lives, whether it be in their career or just any sort of other change in their lives. Um, and it's a real struggle to do so. What have you learned about yourself in dealing with your clientele over the years, given the fact that you've been exposed to um, just such a wide range of of trauma? Um, based on your own, you're based on your client experiences. I bet you didn't even really picture that, you know, going back to that clerical job, right? Like you probably at that point didn't know that that was what you were going to do and the types of clients that you were going to see and the stories that you hear. And every now and then, you know, you share an anonymous story with me about someone who kind of is going through something just, you know, unthinkable. Uh, and I feel like those stories have to teach you a little bit about yourself. Oh, it's interesting because it's like I don't really think about him as like for myself. Um, I guess I don't I don't know how it like you know when when I'm at work it's like I don't really think about how this is uh, like impacting myself. Other mm -hmm. than it's like then like other than having a lot of gratitude. Um, Cause it's like the things I like complain about, even in my head, not, not at work, just like in general. Um, it's like, wow. Like I have no concept of like how much people are actually struggling. So it's like my, like my job keeps me very grounded in terms of like, you know, not throwing myself a pity party or like, like, being overly frustrated about things that aren't necessarily a big deal. Like it's, it's like not, it's like not a big deal or just like, like the gratitude for having like mental health and um, just like a supportive family and, you know, health in general. It's like all these things like we have, or, you know, hopefully, or, like in my situation, like I have it and it's like, I could wake up every morning and not even think about it. Um, just cause it's like, you just have it. So you just think you're always going to have it. And then you talk to people who are, you know, going through their, their struggles and you're like, like, like I didn't, they didn't do anything to have that happen to them. And I didn't do anything right to to keep what i have you know what i mean yeah. like every day like you're kind of like you're blessed to have the things that you do and it's like um i like i like that it's like i'm always bombarded with like having to practice gratitude because it's like a lot of people are not like as fortunate unfortunately and like you know you're trying to help them um and it's honestly like you're either going to be grateful for what you have or it's like very depressing <laughs> like the the work is like it's it's like depressing to hear it all the time so it's like you have to have gratitude otherwise you'll just you know it's like very dark or can be yeah um you brought up mental health and 
Um, clearly, you've been involved in the field now. Uh, but my question for you is, was mental health a conversation that you had growing up or was something that you um, really learned about, <clears throat> embraced more, became more um, entrenched with um, as you dove into this career? Um, because look, I, I mean, I don't even want to, I don't even want to say this has anything to do with growing up in an immigrant home because both of you and I did, because I don't really think that's the factor. I think you can grow up in a non-immigrant home and still not mental health still won't be a topic of discussion. And I think one of the things that's really kind of changing about our, um, generational shift is it's becoming more and more of a topic that's coming to the forefront. So my question to you is, um, was it something that was emphasized growing up or was it something that you picked up on as you kind of uh, decided to take the leap into your career? Oh no, definitely. Once, once I was in my career, like um, my dad was going to support whatever dream I had, but they were also like, why don't you be a real doctor? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Love that. Um, So like, you know, and I didn't, thankfully I didn't take, I didn't take that offensively. Cause I'm like, you guys are just like old school. Like you just don't know any better. I wasn't like personally yeah. offended by it. Um, and even to this day, my mom will introduce me as a psychiatrist. I'm like, mom, I'm a psychologist <laughs> and I have been for like eight years. Like you should know my job title. Like you're embarrassing yourself. Like, get it's it funny. Together. Uh, one of the next questions I had was, how would your parents describe what you do? So that's funny you <laughs> answered that question. No, like, they know what I do. They just, yeah. they're just not like attuned to like the difference of between a psychiatrist and a psychologist, and that like there's a huge difference. There is, yeah. Um, and they're just like, you know, they're not really thinking about it. Yeah, no. it's like if somebody were to always like like introduce you with the wrong name and you're like, Oh yeah. Like, sorry. Like that's, that's your name. (laughs) Um, but no, it was not, it was not like, um, it wasn't like, yeah, that's a great field. Like you should, you should go into it. Yeah. Well, I mean, now that, and, and, and I love that. Like, I, like you understood the situation and, um, and, and, and you, you 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 internalized it in a very healthy way um and you turned it into something my question is to you now my question to you now is around um everything that you've learned over the last couple of years in your job and everything that you've learned just being in the field and also just having a general interest in the field um and uh being a proponent for mental health how does that impact how you are? I mean, you already alluded to earlier about how it's going to impact how you're going to be a mother. But perhaps let's go into a little bit more detail with regards to some of the things that you're looking out for now with a one-year-old and some of the things that, you know, as a as a mother who's keen on mental health um, is always kind of looking out for. Like, like let's give the audience some insight into um, what it means to be conscious of mental health um, at a young age. Like, is there anything that, you know, you can share on that front? Um, I think just being like attuned um, to like what they need um, and like really like standing up for them because, you know, they can't they can't 
like do it for themselves. And I'll use you as an example. So no, we have this talking, <laughs> this talking cactus that imitates you, but it actually like it like butchers your voice and it sounds very scary. And it gets high reviews. It gets high reviews, but my daughter is terrified of it. And uh, Bashoy was like trying to do this thing where he's like, well, I want her to face her fears. So let me just like use this scary cactus all the time. And I can tell she's like, she's like very scared of it. And like, you know, I have to be like, no, like she doesn't, she doesn't like it. Like put it away. Like when I was growing up, uh, it used to be like, you know, hugging, kiss, uncle, whatever, so and so. And now, and now the like the change that has come across like more recently was like trust your children's boundaries. Like if they don't want to give somebody a hug or a kiss, like listen to them. Because if you if you continue to deny them, then they won't necessarily know like good touch from bad touch. So it's like it's like nothing is really like, oh, they're just they're just being dramatic. It's like, mm. it's like, no, it's like, it's like if, if they're really scared or they really don't want to do something within reason, like with like boundaries, it's like, you have to respect what they don't like, you know, and what they like, you're trying to build them to be like strong, independent, like they're starting off as like little, little people, but they're going to grow up into, into this personality. And, and so you need to start it when they're young. Um, and a lot of it is like, like going with what they're, they're, they're trying to help them build up their own intuition, even though that sounds silly. Cause like, they're so young. Um, but it's really not because they're like, like what age did you have intuition? Like, like you don't like, you know, I don't remember. Um, but it's like, I think it's, it's something that like, now people are more like they're more like attuned to it and they're more like respectful of it and they're um you know they're very much like like go with what they you know as long as they're doing things that are healthy and they're not like you know just like i'm not going to school ever or, huh. you know within reason um so yeah i think it's just like you know standing up for her for like things that like I know she doesn't like or she doesn't necessarily have to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you're spot on. And um, let's just make sure uh, the audience knows that the, the cactus deserves at least one shot. <laughs> and if, and if, it, <laughs> if it doesn't okay. go well, then maybe be attuned with your child. But the cactus, uh, the cactus was innocent. Uh in, in well, also, mind. that's like not how you do exposure exercises. What you were doing was flooding, which is like <laughs> very frowned upon in the psych community. <laughs> wow. All right. One, one upping me on my own show and using big words while you're at it. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, I, it's, it's awfully tough to close this episode out uh, because I just enjoy talking to you so much and I could spend uh, <laughs> the entirety of this evening recording with you. Uh, so... I figured I would end this out by just letting you know how much I appreciate you as a wife, as a mother, uh, and as a partner. I've learned uh, a tremendous amount from you. Uh, I'm very grateful um, to have you in my life. And um, doing life with you is, it's really, really beautiful. And it's something that 
I thought I knew, you know, when we were dating and I thought I knew when I really liked you, but seeing it unravel in, in real time is, um, it's really, really special. And, um, you know, this is hands down my, my favorite episode of, of my 40. So thank you for making it happen. Oh, thanks for having me. You got it. Love you, babe. Love you too. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode of the Mile 40 podcast, go ahead, subscribe, leave a review, and share the word. Thank you for being a part of the Mile 40 family. And let's unite in showing the world that comebacks are always greater than setbacks.